Today is the 5th of August, 2014, and this is episode 133. This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is a new field of study. Consult your local futurist, lawyer, and investment advisor before making any decisions whatsoever for yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin, a twice-weekly show about the ideas, people, and projects building the digital economy and the future of money. My name is Adam B. Levine, and today's show is a reality check. Stephanie recently caught up with Richard Bose, who visited Africa and Kenya specifically on a mission to help bring Bitcoin and its advantages to the people who need it most. His experience was jarring, to say the least. And this interview, although not overwhelmingly positive, is informative, and I think it's important that we get into it. After the episode, head over to letstalkbitcoin.com to share your perspective, discuss solutions, and join the conversation. A direct link will be in the show notes. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin. This is Stephanie here, and I'm talking with Richard Bose. Hi, Richard. Welcome to the show. Hi, Stephanie. Nice, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. You went on a trip to Africa in uh, February and March of this year, I believe, and I think you were there for two months. Is that right? Six weeks. For six weeks. And you were mostly in Kenya during that time? I was in Kenya. I arrived in Nairobi. Uh, I went to stay in the Rift Valley, and then... I went down to Mombasa for two weeks, and then I came back up to near Nairobi and worked in Kibera a little bit with a few projects there. Kibera is a bit slum outside of Nairobi. Spent my six weeks between six different projects. I actually spread myself quite thin, a bit too thin. The way I see it is there's an enormous gulf between the Bitcoin community's general evangelical desire that everyone adopt Bitcoin that evangelical desire implicitly indicates that they want the value of their own Bitcoin holdings to go up. And so that's why they're so keen to spread it. There's a gulf between that and the real needs of people in insecure, undeveloped and poverty-stricken circumstances and economies who actually need basic services, infrastructure and education before they're able to, quote-unquote, jump on the Bitcoin bandwagon. And that's somewhat of a problem for two reasons. The first is that Africa as a marketplace or an economy does not have the kind of buying power the Chinese marketplace or economy has. So for Bitcoin speculators, Africa is relatively uninteresting. And the second point is that Africans and poor people in general, and this is with regards to the financial inclusion rhetoric or you know, dialogue in the Bitcoin community, with regards to poor people, they can least afford to lose half of their wealth to volatility. So to some degree, they need to be protected and shielded from overt Bitcoin evangelism. You know, it's great to spread the word of Bitcoin. It's great to get people on board. It's undoubtedly a revolutionary technology that will change the face of global finance and, you know, internet finance and so on and so forth. We expect and we hope. But it's not a panacea. And also, I think there's a very delicate balancing act. We just have to be quite careful about how we bring it to the third world and undeveloped economies. And what I said when I came back to members of my family and members of the civil service was essentially, before we go abroad, taking Bitcoin to Africa and using Africa as a reason to boost Bitcoin, we have to make sure that our own backyard is in order, which means we have to make sure that we're straight with the regulators, that our government knows what Bitcoin is, what it's doing with it, how it can help, how it can hurt, etc., etc. 
and have very clear guidelines, particularly with regards to charities. And then once we've got guidelines set out that charities can follow, then charities will know where they stand when somebody wants to donate Bitcoin. Because a couple of the organizations that I approached, that I stayed with and worked with, accepted Bitcoin donations from me, but one was skeptical about them and one was suspicious. And you can understand that actually charity might not want to be publicly associated with Bitcoin. On the one hand, they need money, so they're like, thank you very much. On the other hand, they're like, well, I've read all this negative stuff about it in the press. I'd rather that this is not, um, how can I say this, publicized, because we are not sure what the legal status of Bitcoin is. And therefore, what happens if we are suddenly accused of receiving some kind of criminal money? So it's very essential that our governments, so US government and our UK governments and European governments, have a pretty straight line on it and say, this is what it is. And as far as charitable donations, this is how it should be treated. And I think there needs to be a kind of cooperative movement between the foundations, like the Bitcoin Foundation, the African uh, Digital Currency Association, the UK Digital Currency Association, and foundations perhaps like um, Connie Gallippi's BitGive Foundation, and or BitPay and BitPay. So there needs to be a sort of a general consensus between everybody about how funds are handled and managed and how charities are supported and educated about Bitcoin when they receive Bitcoin. Some of our listeners may have heard about this, actually, because you did um, kind of a fundraising push. You were uh, writing for Coindesk. That's right. And you had written about your plan to go to Africa for six weeks and give out tablets and give out Bitcoin to people and start educating people about how to use Bitcoin there That's right. in these various cities in Kenya. And I think a lot of people were aware that you went. Yeah. So just tell me a little bit about what your mission was, like what you hoped to accomplish before you went there and what you thought it was going to be like. I had this kind of very broad scope. I had a lot of ideas and plans of what I wanted to do whilst I was out there. And the Bitcoin uh, tablet project supported me by, I think they donated three or four Bitcoins to pay for Android tablets, which I bought and took out to people at the charities and the projects. The first issue that I encountered was that often they didn't really have proper data connections, that it was very expensive to get connected and to download data. And of course, the problem was really, if you gave somebody a tablet that cost you £60 in the UK and it had Bitcoin on it, not only would that tablet be worth three times their monthly pay, for example, in, in a school in the, in the Rift Valley, but with import duty, the equivalent tablet would cost double. So it'd actually be worth six months pay. So receiving a tablet, you might as well sell it straight away. So that was the first thing. And that was the first thing I was cautioned against is this isn't going to work because any teachers or medical health officials, if they're in any way pragmatic, they will simply do the, do the sensible thing and sell it and put food on their table for the next six months. So that was the first issue that we encountered. I found a solution to that, which was essentially equipping Tunapanda, which was a Californian 
non-profit that's based in Kibera with the majority of the tablets. And because they've got adequate funding, Jay Larson and his brother Mick, they um, educate kids on how to uh, use digital technology. They were in a position to use those tablets to their advantage so they could give them to the kids, show them how to hack them and program them and, and da 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 we gave a laptop and a tablet to a school in the Rift Valley, a, a few tablets to the iCross Medical Charity, not as many as I had expected to. And then uh, two of the tablets broke. So one of the problems with these, these cheap Android tablets is £60 tablets, and they smash very easily. They're generics, you so you can't get the screen replaced. So the idea that the Bitcoin tablet project could kind of get one up on the OLPC project or be better than the OLPC project was kind of pie in the sky. With no disrespect to Matty, um, who, you know, has his heart in the right place and supported me, and it was a great research trip and very important. But I think in terms of providing tech for school children on the ground or teachers uh, on the ground, in rural areas, in very underdeveloped, poor economies, there's a whole mountain of problems which you need to overcome before the tech becomes useful. And remember that they have their own problems. I mean, the school that I visited needed a clock. They didn't need a tablet. They didn't need digital technology. They needed a clock for the classroom. They needed a flag so that the government wouldn't shut them down, so they could be recognized as a as a real school, you know, they needed running water. So what I did was I took the donations from various companies that had I'd done work for, I'd produced uh, motion graphics animations for, and I showed the coordinators of these projects how to set up blockchain wallets. And then I donated those donations from the businesses directly to the coordinators of the projects and told them in quite clear terms this is best as an investment. I would hold on to this for 10 years and liquidate this at 10% every year in order to help you fund your, your development projects. Now, none of us knows if Bitcoin is going to take off and is going to be the new world currency or whatever. And I was at pains to explain to them, this is experimental. Don't put your own money into it. Don't gamble on it. It might fail. But if it succeeds, you know, it will be enormously rewarding. It's just a question of time and patience. You know, that was a very difficult thing for me to do because, of course, then I couldn't turn around and say, look what wonderful work we've done in Africa. Look, we've given lots of Bitcoin away and, you know, they've dug water wells and they've done this and they've done that and da 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 So as a result, I actually didn't have very much material to write home about and then there was this issue that we promised that, uh, or we'd suggested that the people who received tablets would be able to blog about their daily lives and put up public addresses so that people could donate Bitcoin directly to them. And of course, the first thing that, that happened when I arrived was the director of one of the charities that's been there for 35 years said, you do realize that this is just opening the gate, the floodgates for fraud, don't you? If people have the intelligence and skills to blog and to connect to the network, they'll ask for money for anything. And if they can get it, there's no telling where it's going. So there's no oversight or accountability, which really, really puts a spear in the side of Andreas and Jorg's 
pure idea of peer-to-peer charity. It's kind of heartbreaking, but it's kind of true. I'd learned so much. I'd seen so much. I had seen how wrong and silly I'd been about my evangelism when it came to Bitcoin in the third world. And also how, you know, we live in ivory towers, basically. And and how taking on a problem like global poverty is no small task, you know. I was very much overwhelmed when I got back. You know, I wouldn't say I've had a breakdown, but the last few months have been very difficult in terms of actually talking about it and explaining to people and, and figuring out my own attitude towards Bitcoin as well. The price crashed from a thousand to six hundred or five hundred while I was there, and they didn't have any way of converting it, and I wasn't really ready or prepared to convert it for them because maybe I could have, to some degree, converted it to cash for them. But the point was that they were supposed to do it through BitPacer, and that it would be a very cheap way of doing it. You know, there was the whole education thing as well, trying to get them to understand what it was. We forget that we live in this data-rich environment where we can spend a lot of time on Google and we can really dive into it. We understand what programs are and we understand about computers and we have very, very high levels of basic education. And then you go into Africa and it's like going back in time. There's so many levels of what you're introducing to them and they sort of go wild. They either go wild or they're skeptical or they shut down completely or I mean I had a range of different responses and it was just very difficult for me to keep up with what I was doing and what I was planning to do there so it was just this extraordinary learning curve and then I came home and I didn't know what to do with all this data. Yeah I can really see how overwhelming that must have been just so many assumptions just being questioned and changing all at once and so many things that you didn't expect to encounter that you did and also the feeling of powerlessness as well was really that was the difficult bit it was like if we convert mm. this to cash we can do something right now but if you hold on to it for a year you could do 10 times as much maybe and i've mm. always been a big believer in bitcoin you know i i'm like i say i'm evangelical about it and that didn't that didn't suit me very well either i didn't really i wasn't really happy about that the evangelism and the reason mm. for that was so neatly demonstrated by the fact of giving bitcoins that have been donated by friends, family and businesses, halving in value whilst I was there. And these Mm. guys were like, well, we don't have the chance to convert it to cash. So thanks very much for your magic internet money, but it doesn't actually do us any good right now. It it pains to explain to some of them, this is a long-term investment. You know, this is, uh, this is like holding shares. And then, of course, there was this other, the other dynamic, the main dynamic, which was that going out there and thinking that they had problems and we didn't, and going out there and realizing that the industrialized world has huge problems that African people don't have because they don't have the infrastructure and they don't have the complications and they don't have the... I mean, it, it just sort of turned my world on its head and that's what I needed and that was all good but it's just been a complete like where do I go from here so in terms of reaching out to the community I wasn't able to write anything up for Coindesk and say you know fantastic 
thing happens in Kibera with Bitcoin, although we are doing a project uh, in Kibera, uh, three projects combining in Kibera, which is the slum outside Nairobi. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. They tell me that Kenya is the third most corrupt country in Africa or possibly the world. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't really know what corruption is when you get to the level of people who have no money and who will do you know, anything for it. I, I do understand that 95% of the wealth of Kenya is concentrated in 5% of the, of the population's hands. And they're not short of money. That 5% is not short of money. But anyhow, the, the point is that peer-to-peer charity, at some level anyway, sadly unrealistic. I mean, money transfer is not unrealistic. But then you've got the problem of buying into Bitcoin and getting out of Bitcoin again. Now, I went down to the post office today and I asked how much it would cost me to send £100 to Gong Town outside Nairobi in Kenya. And they told me it cost me just about £5, which is 5%. And I asked how much they'd charge me to send £500, and they said it will cost you £17. So the percentage goes down. A lot of the rhetoric about Bitcoin changing and transforming the remittance industry is questionable, I would say. Remittance via Bitcoin if you're going from dollars or pounds into Bitcoin and then into Kenyan shillings, is probably more expensive and more problematic than using Western Union or using MoneyGram. One of my family members married an Indian man. She sends money home to India all the time and they use Western Union and the fees are very low. And it's very simple. It's very reliable. There's no volatility risk. So... Coming to that conclusion was actually rather difficult. How do you go from one extreme, and I, you know, was very evangelical about Bitcoin. How do you go from one extreme to the other without offending people and turning turning a lot of people off? I think the answer is that Bitcoin can be incredibly useful for an awful lot of things. And it may well transform the, uh, the, the... backbone or the back end of of the remittance industry or it might change some aspect of it but it's a little bit unclear as to what percentages will be taken and and how different communities will plug into it and understand it and adopt bitcoin or adapt to the new technologies i mean i I think it'll happen i've seen that bitpacer remits for three percent but of course they can't you can't remit for 3% because you have to buy into Bitcoin too. So you have to pay a commission on buying your Bitcoin or a premium if you're buying it on local Bitcoins. Or And then there's the uh, exchange rate fees. So really, it's kind of unlikely that that 3% competes effectively with a 5% from MoneyGram. One thing I want to ask is about volatility. I think of the situation in Zimbabwe, you know, with the hyperinflation right and yes bitcoin is volatile however what's the alternative is whatever fiat currency that people may be using just as volatile isn't that being devalued too i think people use dollars u.s dollars Mm. and i think that's despite quantitative easing it's relatively stable certainly very stable compared to 
Argentina or Zimbabwe dollars. There's another project in the works. NXT are backing this um, text coins now service. If you have a feature phone, you can send any or a few different cryptocurrencies from one feature phone to another or one phone number to another. And TextCoin now keeps the wallets on their hosted servers. So it transmits value between one person and another. And they're hoping to roll out in Ethiopia and other, other places like that. What do you think about services like that? Well, central servers obviously have their their issues. And, you know, the whole point about Bitcoin being trustless and decentralized is that there is no central service. It's too early to say with the TextCoins Now project. I think what BitPace are doing in Kenya is really good because it shields Kenyans from the volatility risk of Bitcoin, to some degree at least. I mean, it as somebody once said to me, BitPacer is a, is a good idea, but it's half a business. And it needs, it needs to work with other half businesses in order to get it going, in, in order to, you know, to, to, to be um, a functioning part of the ecosystem. And it's sort of true. I mean, you, you look, at, look at the way the ecosystem is developing is, you know, we all need to kind of plug into each other. You know, Bitcoin, A, is a currency, it's a very, a very effective currency. It's a very useful currency. It's a very good way of transferring value. I do think it's here to stay. I continue to believe that it will go up in value, hopefully. <laughs> but we've always talked about the digital divide. It's nowhere more poignant than with Bitcoin. There are the haves and the have-nots. LTB Coin is the official community rewards program of the LTB network. You can earn LTBC by performing any number of things you probably already do. If you listen to shows like Let's Talk Bitcoin, listen up for the magic word. When you hear it, visit letstalkbitcoin.com. Log into your free account and enter the magic words to claim your share of the listener rewards. And now it's time for the LTB News Flash, brought to you by CryptoKit, the easiest, fastest Bitcoin wallet that installs right into your browser so it's always there when you need it. Here are the headlines for the 5th of August, 2014. Bitcoin currency gains in popularity. Why is Bitcoin value become stagnant? After angering Bitcoin crowd with debit fees, Zappo talks back. Bitcoin news and review. Bitcoin price drops, Dogecoin's decline, and Ecuador bans. Ghash mining pool generates $250 million in Bitcoin in one year. Europe's Bitcoin entrepreneurs winning investor seal of approval. All that and more, check it out at CryptoKit.com. That's K-R-Y-P-T-O-K-I-T.com. Today's high watermark of sponsorships at 33,000 LTBC is the Bitcoin Doco. They have a pretty awesome three-minute introduction video on their possible crowdfunding page. You can find a direct link in the show notes of episode 133. Here's Dale and Chris. So we're taking a raw approach and focusing on personal stories to look at the impact that cryptocurrencies are having on our society. It's such a broad subject. So we're creating a three-part web series and we're releasing this on Vimeo and YouTube and we're doing this as a Creative Commons release so that everyone has access to it on the internet. There's no country restrictions or anything like that. And yes, you can back this project with Bitcoin via Possible. In fact, our whole production team is being paid in Bitcoin. So join us on this little journey as we go around Australia documenting cryptocurrency and also getting your input if you are the kind of person who likes to ask questions 
Uh, we will do our best to take those questions to the people we are talking to. This is part of the excitement of being involved. It's just so Bitcoin. <laughs> Thank you in advance for the pleasures that you make and the questions that you ask. We're really, really looking forward to It's just so Bitcoin. You heard it right there. <laughs> Thank so you. Remember to check out the show notes for the direct link to their crowdfund page. I'm deciding what question I want to ask as we speak. It's that time again. Time for the magic words. Today's magic word is Kenya. That's K-E-N-Y-A. Kenya. You've got until Wednesday, the 6th of August to visit letstalkbitcoin.com, log in and submit the magic words for your share of the LTB listener rewards. Today's second sponsor at 32,000 LTBC is Brian Cohen with his bitofthis.com LTB sponsor brokering service. Here's how this type of service works. You have a product, service, cause, job opening, resume, announcement, or something else our audience should know about but doesn't. But what you don't have is a lot of time to spend earning LTBC through the various ways our rewards program dishes them out. Brian, on the other hand, is one of the most active content contributors and so has a steady supply of LTBC, but not many projects that would benefit from their use. You visit bitofthis.com or click on his display ad on the front page of Let's Talk Bitcoin. He bids in the sponsor auction on your behalf. If you win the sponsorship, you pay Brian and BTC, he pays LTB in our currency of choice, LTB coin, and you get the airtime for a fraction of what we were charging even earlier this year. The difference is I used to set the prices, and now the market sets the prices by auction. Brian's service means it's not only cheap to work with us, but now it's even easy. So that's it. Thanks for listening in, and if you have any questions, head over to letstalkbitcoin.com to enter your magic word and join the conversation. Back to the show. I'm wondering what your thoughts are about places in the world where there is better infrastructure for internet mm. and data coverage. Mm. My my area was Kenya. You know, I went to Kenya for partly personal reasons and partly because there was such a, a, a community interest, community focus on Kenya from Bitcoin, thinking that Kenya would be a big adoption ground because of M-Pesa. I'm afraid my, my knowledge of other potential adoption grounds is very limited. I can tell you, as long as you've got free data or you know cheap data, uh, one of the statistics that I like to quote is that the lady who was teaching at a primary school in the Rift Valley got paid $20 a month. And if she wanted to buy 100 minutes of airtime, she would have to spend a dollar for 100 minutes. And she could get 80 megabytes of data for that. So if you think about the maths of that, well, that's 5% of her whole salary. Whereas if we're earning £2,000 or dollars a month and we're only spending $20 on our cell phone, but we get unlimited data, we're spending 1% on our, on our data and we're getting an order of magnitude more. Like we're getting unlimited data instead of simply 80 megabytes. And that's what I mean by the digital divide. You know, it's like data in undeveloped economies is so expensive that Bitcoin becomes expensive to learn about, expensive to interact with, expensive to use. To some degree, I realize that there are feature phones. If you're using Nokia's, you know, then old SMS kind of based wallets, then yes, you don't need to do that. But the learning curve for learning about Bitcoin is steep enough that you need to have access to data enough to understand how and why it's valuable or how and why it works. Probably, I can't remember her name. She runs 37 coins. 
she's a Korean girl, and she's doing a nice service, a bit like Pochi, that that also sends crypto coins from feature phones to to, to feature phones. There are solutions out there. There are enablers who are taking Bitcoin down down on the bottom of the pyramid. But unless or until Bitcoin stabilizes in value, it's very hard to have a missionary zeal to take it to developing countries and say, this is going to solve your economic problems. This is going to help you. Because on the one hand, it can do an awful lot of good. It's an amazing, transformative, revolutionary technology. And on the other hand, it has the potential to do an awful lot of harm. And the bottom line is, if you're the person who's taking it to these communities, to these people, and they lose money on it, they're going to turn around and blame you. This is why I'm kind of pushing these associations and foundations. I talked to John Matonis a few weeks ago and Kevin from the foundation and Elizabeth Plochet from the foundation uh, about uh, creating a policy document just so that we can kind of set out some straight terms about the best practices for taking Bitcoin into developing communities and developing economies. Along those lines, I'm curious, what did the skepticism look like when you got reactions from people? What did they say? One of the charity director of iCross said, well, I spoke to my bank manager or accountant who lives in a canary warfare, which is the banking center of London. And he said, oh, Bitcoin is nonsense. And his whole attitude was like, essentially, thanks very much, but you have got no idea what we are dealing with here on the ground. We are dealing with vaccination programs. We're dealing with poverty. We're dealing with Africa being Africa. And Africa is just, it has its own time, It has its own pace. It has its own rhythms and desires and needs. And the idea of white Europeans coming in and going, here you go, this will solve your problems. Well, they've seen that before. They've seen it with Christianity. They've seen it with all Mm. kinds of things. They've been let down. They've been messed around. The politics between different races is difficult enough to bridge and the hope is that you can take technology out there and it'll help to bridge the differences between our cultures. And I think it will. I honestly do think that Bitcoin can act as a bridge, you know, an economic and financial bridge, and it can help build um, financial meta infrastructure, if you like. The other thing that I'm at pains to point out to people is that the street finds its own uses for things. That's a quote from William Gibson's a neuromancer. He says the street finds its own uses for things. And I think that's nowhere more true than Bitcoin. When I was, when I was outside uh, uh, Nairobi in this little town called Bet, staying there with iCross, there was a DVD shop that sold DVDs, all of which had been torrented and copied and then color photocopied because that was the only way that they could afford to run a DVD shop without having ruinous overheads. And of course, the tax man, you know, there was no tax man. I mean, it's virtually lawless out there. So it's fine, relatively. Hollywood's not going to come after them and, and slap them with a $100,000 lawsuit for, for copyright infringement or a million dollar lawsuit. But it sort of underlines the point that they take on a technology like torrenting and the resourceful ones use it to their advantage to feed their families out of necessity. 
You know, it's pure pragmatism. And I, I'm sure that the same thing will happen with Bitcoin, that um, they will find their own uses for it. There's no, there's no point in saying, in, in bringing them tablets and saying, we'd like you to blog about what you're doing and ask for donations and da 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 and fit into, fit into our paradigm of what we think you need. You know, the reverse applies. You go there, you give them Bitcoin, and you say, this is what it is. What do you need to do? How should we build this? And over the next five, ten year period, what can we achieve? And what do you think is the answer to that? What, what did you hear when you listened to people saying that they needed things, and what do you think can be achieved? Well, some people donated cash to me um, for my trip, and I bought water, a water tank for the family I was staying with, and I bought uniforms for their children. And when I went down to Mombasa, I bought the kids T-shirts and um, clothes. And, and these were kids that like, didn't have a penny to rub together. You know, I mean, they were so happy if they had a mango, and a mango cost about 6p. And they literally didn't have anything. And I helped paint the orphanage there and, you know, bought, bought in paints and books and things like that for them. And then left the nun in charge with the Bitcoin endowment. And so uh, my answer to that was potentially I've got all this cash that I can just drop on these guys. And these kids were great. They were so much fun. And I just thought... It would be awesome if this Bitcoin could be converted. If I, I mean, I could have converted it to cash and bought them what? Bought them this, bought them that. The problem is if you buy orphans expensive things, the first thing that they do is run away from the orphanage and try and sell the thing that they've been given. In the orphanage, the, the, the case with that one is that it's a very long-term investment. They're between five and ten now, and after a year of settling in at the orphanage, they'll go up to the school. And when they're at the school, they will then be looked after by the nuns for about ten years until they're 18. And hopefully they'll graduate and go on to college if they get sponsored. And they're usually sponsored by banks if they're good students. There's Equity Bank, which sponsors them. I mean, my hope was actually that over a 10 or 15-year period or 10-year period, this Bitcoin endowment would grow to become a scholarship fund for that, for that orphanage that could then send those kids that I was working with um, off to college or, you know, pay for their needs as they were growing up uh, or, or, or so on and so forth. And unfortunately, whilst I think that's still a distinct possibility and I have uh, I've never had any reservations about the integrity of the organization that I was visiting. Communication has been difficult since I left. The nun who uh, received the donation has a degree, or I think, or training in a business college as well. So she's very sharp, and she had a laptop, and she had a mobile, and she knew what she was doing. She didn't understand Bitcoin, but she was quite happy to receive it. And my hope is that she will manage it very patiently over a long period of time and then use it judiciously when it needs to be used. Interestingly, there was so much stuff that they needed, you know, whether it was mattresses or a new water tank. They were undertaking a huge amount of building at, at the school. There was so much that was needed. It was kind of like, well, $1,000 of Bitcoin is a, drop in the, is a drop in the ocean for what you need overall. 
It could cover all of your needs to some degree today, but in terms of thinking forward thinking, it could, could cover a lot more needs over the coming years. So that was quite a difficult balance. That was quite a difficult decision. But it's not a decision I have to make. It's, it's, a, it's a management decision which she has to make now that she's in receipt of those bitcoins. The final thing I have to say, of course, is that I did my security very carefully. I took them through the security procedures on blockchain.info. I made sure that I didn't have any record of their passwords, but that they had full records of their passwords and their mnemonics. And I showed them about how to set up different accounts and different addresses and things like that. Ultimately, when BitPacer got up and running, I think BitPacer only actually got up and running last month. So that was a bit difficult because while I was in Kenya, I wasn't able to show them how to, how to, how to turn it into real money. But now that BitPace is up and running, they can actually turn their Bitcoins into Kenyan shillings. There's an awful lot of content here, Stephanie. And it just, you know, it, I, I, I've just, I, I've been swamped, really, in terms of trying to describe all the, the nuances and the difficulties and the challenges that I saw out there. And really, really what I ought to have done was just picked one charity and um, given them uh, money so they could do something with it directly there and then. The other thing that I'm quite proud of, I think, and I think this is the best, this is the best project, set of projects that will bear fruit, is the three projects in Kibera in the slum outside Nairobi. There's Tunapanda, which is the technical nonprofit that teaches computer skills who receive two Bitcoins. There's Rock that received one Bitcoin, but there's one Bitcoin on hold being held for them by Bitcoin a tablet project that's to go to rock and they're a scholarship program that is in a proper building in the slum and then there's Betel, which is the outreach school which is basically built in an open sewer i mean kibera is very lovely in some ways a very community oriented and very lively and vibrant but it's extremely poor and it's all squatted land and the Betel school is 300 kids a lot of whom can't afford the school fees. Um, and so we donated two Bitcoins to them with which uh, they bought laptops. And Rock has filmed a fundraising video in order to help them build an ICT lab. Now, whether or not they need an ICT lab more than they need to pay their kids' school fees, I'm not entirely sure. I've just felt that Bitcoin ought to be used for that purpose. Tuna Panda is aiming to build a mesh network for Kibera, so they will have cheap internet access. And Rock obviously wants money for scholarships to to teach kids computer skills. So that nexus are very close to each other and they support each other and they are supported by the meetup group, which is just around the corner in Nairobi, uh, which is supported by BitPacer and the African Digital Currency Association. And Elizabeth Rossiello at BitPacer and Charlene Chen and Amy, whose name, whose second name I don't know, they are supporting these three charities on their website. As far as I understand it, I've seen the mock-up of the, of the website. They're planning to support those three charities through BitPacer. So if you want to donate to the Betel Computer Lab or the Rock Scholarship Program or to Tuna Panda's Mesh uh, Network, a program, then you can do so by sending Bitcoin through BitPacer 
that Pace will convert it to Kenyan shillings, and then that will go to these guys. Or I think you can send uh, Bitcoin directly to the projects. And then the only issue with that, of course, is accountability. You know, how do we appropriately account for what's being spent, where and how? So the fact that these three are working together is good in terms of oversight and hopefully media broadcasts like this and and write-ups in things like Bitcoin Magazine will help that oversight process become more transparent and, and help to keep people accountable. But from my, from my own point of view, when I was out there, I did feel like I was on rather rocky ground because I hadn't had any experience in giving money away before, particularly tech money, you know, Bitcoin. There, there are a few best practice procedures that I learned too late that you have to get in place. For example, you have to get transfers witnessed. You have to make sure that the person that you're giving the Bitcoins to has total access to it. But you also have to get somebody there to witness that not only do they have total access, but that you do not have any access as well. I mean, it's the same with normal charities. Uh, Donations have to be witnessed and accounted for. But of course, the accountants at these charities don't know what Bitcoin is. The witnessing process and and the security procedures and getting two-factor authentication set up on a blockchain wallet, for example... I mean, it's such a long-winded process. It can take two or three hours or even four hours to explain what Bitcoin is, to get them set up, to make the transfer. And, and often people didn't have the time enough. You know, I found time uh, with everybody, but uh, often it wasn't enough time, really, to, to, to really get into the details of what it was that they were taking on. Um, uh, and so a lot of this is running on faith, really. And then, uh, of course, I, I spoke to you about giving away a £60 tablet to a, a teacher that only earns $20 a, a month. Mm. Um, or for her, it would be a, a twice, the, you know, £120 tablet because of the import duty to Kenya. Um, the idea of giving them a tablet on which they then store Bitcoin, like a grand's worth of Bitcoin, for example, which they don't understand the value of, Mm. and which breaks easily is insanity and it's not yeah. something which I did at any point there was no point where I gave somebody a tablet and gave them bitcoin to their tablet so they could then lose it or break it and you know that would be that so you know a lot of this stuff needed thinking through beforehand wasn't thought through beforehand properly a lot of it um, was just stuff that I couldn't have known without going Mm. Um, and a lot of a lot of it has needed processing in retrospect. So, I mean, I think I told you all I can tell you. Other than the main the main message I'd like to get across is that BitPacer is running this this nice friendly community support service for these three charities in Kibera. They're looking for funding for an ICT lab and for scholarship programs and a mesh network. There are mechanisms for oversight and accountability and transparency in place there increasingly there's a nexus of, of people down there who are watching each other's accounts and watching each other and know know each other and know what, what they're doing and a mixture of westerners and kenyans as well native kenyans that's kind of the main project to focus on in terms of of giving but i've just hooked up i cross with elizabeth plochet 
that bit pay to get them on online but it's a slow process it's a very slow process you know i i showed icross how to embed a we accept bitcoin button donations onto their website when i when i arrived and i received an email last week saying we'd like to do this and i said well i showed you how three four months ago you know why why, did, why don't you do it <laughs> icross is very well-established charity in this their sister charity, New World International, does the social support network, like supports the women's groups and things like that, um, supports the culture groups rather than rather than doing direct medical aid. And New World International is a British-registered charity based in Kenya and run by Kenyans. I'm not sure precisely what the status of Icross International is. I'm sorry if I'm overloading you with information. Is, there was tons to tell tons to experience and picking the most relevant things um, has been quite 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 a challenge I understand and uh, I think you've done great you know it's it definitely sounds like a challenge to process all this stuff to deal with the overwhelm and to see so many frustrating problems that don't have easy solutions I really want to thank you for just sharing your super honest experience of what you saw and what happened on your trip. That's a real pleasure. There's one thing that I do have to say. I was sponsored by Cloudhashing, Coinet, and by Titbit, and by the UKDCA, and by Matrix Vision, and by Dealcoin and Seedcoin, and by Satoshi Point. Sorry if I've forgotten any other sponsors. Uh, it's late and I don't have a list in front of me. But these sponsors put up the money, they put up the Bitcoin, and they're the ones who really deserve the credit. Hopefully their donations will, in time, bear great fruit. My thanks goes out to them for help, for supporting me in, in, in my mission. And uh, I wish them the best of luck with their businesses too, because I think they're all doing really, really good work. Thank you so much, Richard. Is there anything else you want to add, or how can people <laughs> get in touch with you if they want to they want to talk to you uh, if they want to talk to me directly they can email me at richardwbose at gmail.com i did have a website up called saintsatoshi.com but i've i'm not sure about the evangelical overtones of that at the moment i'm not sure whether my my website is going up again um it's possible that they could get in touch with me at richard at saintsatoshi.com otherwise i'm just out here you know i'm on social networks i'm i'm available i'm happy to talk to people about my experiences and help them if they want to set up their own missions abroad, I'm very happy to give my two Satoshis. Thanks for listening to episode 133 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's show is provided by Stephanie Murphy and Richard Bowes. This episode was edited by Denise Levine and Adam B. Levine. Music for today's show is provided by Jared Rubens, Gertie Beats, and General Fuzz. If you're a developer, you might be interested in our upcoming Coins for Commits program. As the platform goes open source in the coming weeks, we'd like as much help as possible. You'll earn LTBC for your time. If you have any questions, send an email to adam at letstalkbitcoin.com and I'll help you find the person you need to speak to. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.